Welcome to the Ambassador Podcast, a resource created by a community of Christians seeking to represent God to a watching world in humility, unity, and boldness. Our goal is to educate, be educated, encourage, be encouraged, challenge, and be challenged as we pursue a heavenward perspective of God's heart for racial equity and reconciliation rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. All right, what's up, y'all? Welcome back to the Ambassador Podcast. The Ambassador is a biblically informed Christian coalition that engages issues of religion, race, and culture in ways that pursue reconciliation. I am your host, Jared Cole, and I'm here with my co-host, Persia Gambles. Hello. And Tracy Spears. What's up? Yeah, how y'all doing? Great. Good. Good, good. Yes. How's it been since the last time we met? I mean, nothing new to report right now. Yeah, yeah, Okay. I mean, just living life. Living life. That's good. Doing good, Trace. I mean, I would agree. It's been great. Good, good. <laughs> well, I mean, I had a birthday oh, since the last yeah. time we met. That's so, true. That's <laughs> your boy, true. your boy, getting up there. I was born in 1988. My birthday's July 12th, so I'm gonna let y'all do the math. I mean, I ain't gonna. <laughs> You're a year I'm younger than Bow Wow. Oh, you're younger. <laughs> you were born in 1987. Uh, uh, oh, wow. My name is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yo, head nappy, butt happy pocket full of dough. What you know about that, man? Big uh, Bow Wow fan. So, Big so Bow Wow deaf, fan. Friend. So, so deaf. So, so. Anyway, um, yo, welcome back, y'all. Listen, if this is your first time tuning into the Ambassador, we. Usually don't have that much fun on the introduction, but this time we did. What you can expect, though, is, man, just biblically informed, honest dialogue and open conversation. What we want to do here is aim to create a space where tough conversations are the norm and where we can come together in humility, unity, and boldness. Mm -hmm. And so I'm really excited for this episode today. Uh, We are doing something new, something we haven't done before. We have a guest on the podcast. Yo, yo, yo. If you you know her, you know exactly who that is. We out here. Yo, yo, we are so honored to have Joanna Davis join us on the Ambassador Podcast today. I wish we had the fake like applause. Applause, the cracks. Carrie could probably do something about that. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, we're so excited to have you here, Joanna. Um, excited Joanna, to be here. she is a good friend of ours. Mm-hmm. She's a co-laborer in the faith. Mm-hmm. Um, she is on staff at Cottage Grove Church mm-hmm. down Represent. in Des Moines, Iowa. She is the associate salt director. Wow. Down there. So she got it going on. We're so glad to have you here. Uh, you're a great friend of ours, Joanna. So um, I'm going to leave it to you. Go ahead and introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about who you are and how you found yourself here in Iowa. Yeah, so my name's Joanna. Um, I am from the great, great, great state of Texas. Yes, I am. Amen. God's Um, country, if you ask me. God's country. Um, So, yeah, the way I got to Iowa, a big picture was only the Lord God Almighty Mm -hmm. because, you know, Iowa. But, um, yeah, longer story. um, I actually met Pastor Recab when I was a junior in college up at Epiphany Fellowship. I was helping them do their kids ministry for the summer and I met Pastor Recap there and then got reconnected to him probably like four or five, maybe six years later. Um, And yeah, he asked me like, hey, do you want to do college ministry? And I was like, yeah, I'm actually about to go to seminary at DTS and I would love to do that. And he was like, great. How about you move your whole life to Iowa and come work for our church? And I was like, 
I don't know where that is, but <laughs> sure. <laughs> I didn't know it was north and cold, so I might have re- re- rethunk that, rethought that, rethought that. Um, but yeah, so that's how I got to Iowa. So super pumped to be here, yeah. excited to hang out with you guys. Like, I do love Chick Fil A, so if any of my fans, you know, want to want to send me a, a card <laughs> or some sort, I'd enjoy it. And uh, if you're wondering, which I'm sure you're not, I'm currently not wearing shoes because my girl Persia decided to come after my neck before we started yeah. about yeah. how not white my shoes were. So if you see her, you can go ahead and tell her. To apologize because yeah, yeah. I was very hurt. <laughs> Tracy, Jared, anything else you want to add to that? Yeah, we want to clear this air right now. You want to yeah, go ahead and just. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I actually do have. I'll retort to that. Um, you apologize yeah. for things you're sorry for. Oh, 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 oh no! Yes. All right, guys, we can't handle we can't handle this on the air. So yeah, that's why we're here, Doc. Yeah, I'll, just, <laughs> I'll handle this off air, and then we'll make a make a make an Instagram story about yeah, it. Maybe. This is, this is so good. I'm this excited so to talk good. about Jesus, the Amen. one who saves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Say, say that. Reconciles. Say that. Say that. And founder and perfecter of our faith. Even when. Amen. Even when. Amen. We don't ask for forgiveness. He still forgives. He does. Amen. Preach. Amen. That might have been that might have been really loud in y'all speakers. Yeah, sorry. Yo, yo, Joe. So glad to have you here. Yes. So glad to have you. Um, to be here. So I'm, I'm curious. You said you didn't know that Iowa was north and cold. Yes. I'm interested. I mean, because like most people I know that's from the south. Most people I know that's from the coast. Like they have no idea None. where Iowa is on the map. So I just want to give us a little bit of geography. Where did you think Iowa was on the map before you came to Iowa? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so not to like <laughs> discredit myself, but I thought Iowa was like not Iowa. Like I thought it was mixed in with like I don't know. I don't, you, like, you like Idaho, Ohio, Ohio, Ohio. Like you know how people like mix words together on accident. Yeah. It's yeah. like that's where Iowa came from. Like I, I knew vowels and vegetables. That's what Iowa yeah. is: vowels and then they make vegetables. I'm mm. also terrible at geography, so I can't tell you where most of the states are. Dang. Unfortunately. Ooh. That's all right. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Sorry. That's, sorry. Honest. Sorry. That's, honest. Yeah. Yeah. That's honest. Well, good thing we ain't talking about geography today. What we are going to be talking about, though, is um, black womanhood. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so our topic today is going to be black womanhood. Mm-hmm. Um, this is why we asked Joanna to come up here and join us. I know she's got a, uh, a, a strong voice and a lot of input to put on this topic, mm-hmm. uh, along with my co-host here, Persian and Tracy. Man, I'm so excited to dive into something like this. Mm-hmm. And so if I'm honest, man, I think this may be, at least up till now, um, the most important episode that we've done, mm-hmm. right? I've never known a people that has to wrestle with their identities so much but at the same time has to demonstrate so much strength hmm. like the black woman. I think about, you know, the, the black woman in my life. I think about my mom. I think about my sisters, you know, and they themselves, like they, they were blue collar workers, you know, growing up. They worked at Ford Motor Company. My, my mom worked at Ford Motor Company for years, you know, and it's kind of like a a family staple, really. <laughs> you grow up in the, in, the, in, the, in the coal household, in the Waters household. You know, you work at Ford Motor Company. You're a blue-collar worker. I have, you know, mom and dad work there. My brothers and sisters work there. My cousins work there, you know. And so it's, that's just what it was. And so, like, I've been surrounded by many strong black women and their friends even, 
you know, just the women they surrounded themselves with. It's, it's all I've ever really known. Uh, but I don't just think about them. I think about, you know, the, my black sisters I've met on course of my life when I got to college. You know, I went to college at University of Iowa, a primarily white institution, but then there's also a black community there. Mm. And I think about the black sisters I've met there, right, who found themselves in this primarily white environment where they uh, were on the outskirts and maybe even in the middle of this tension. You know, you think about these high major colleges, these division one colleges and whatnot, um, or really most colleges in America, right? There's, there's, this, um, there's this upholding of the black male in, you know, relation to uh, sports. Mm. And then there's this kind of upholding of uh, the white female, also in relation to sports or just in relation to desire, you know, um, what's deemed normal, what's deemed beauty, you know? And so the black sisters I've met in those, in those uh, arenas, you know, they've had to wrestle with that, with the type of identity in that. I think about my black sisters in Christ who are balancing and wrestling with their identity in the eyes of Christ even because of the mm. roles they often play in ministry and the low glass ceilings they tend to hit. I think of my own daughters who are mixed black and white, right? I'm married. I have uh, a wife. Her name is Trisha. I have three daughters, five, three, and one, you know? And I think about them and even uh, at the tender ages that they're in right now, my oldest five, you know, she's even able right now to articulate feelings of inferiority based on Mm. hair color, hair Mm. texture, skin color, walking in stores and seeing mostly, you know, white dolls and, and, and having actually searched for, uh, you know, dolls that are, that are more her complexion, you know, watching her favorite TV shows and not seeing any of the representation that's of herself right. uh, going into her school. She was in preschool just this past year, you know, uh, and, and it's a primarily white preschool. And it's her, you know, her, her first time being around so many kids at one time and having teachers and influencers and, uh, she actually had one teacher in the room, Miss Sawa. Shout out to Miss Sawa. She won't even know she's getting a shout out on this episode. Um, but man, like she, uh, she took Kate under her wing, and I'm super grateful for that, you know. But man, just you can just see the internal wrestle right now, even with a five year old, and even with a three year old. Yeah. You know, just kind of uh, what this looks like, and they can t- see the differences in and of themselves, and see how it's not really uh, portrayed in society or any of the things they like to take part in. So here's the thing, right? So black people and particularly black women are tasked with this, a burden to show and prove in ways that no one else is asked to. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to transition in this. Here's where we're going to start asking you guys some questions. So um, this, this is a conversation about black womanhood. I will not be talking very much the rest of this episode. <laughs> and I want y'all to take these questions, hear me speak, but then I want you to take this wherever it leads you. Okay, and so this first question we have is really about just personal stories. We want to get to know y'all. I want I want our listeners to know mm-hmm. personally how this has affected you. You know, just your your natural experience. Uh, you can even talk about you know some of your challenges or you know different lives in Texas, in California, in uh, uh, Oregon, right? And then coming here to Iowa and just kind of you know balancing or understanding or coming to a realization of um, I, I guess your blackness for lack of a better term in different arenas. So whichever one y'all want to start on that. Yeah, I'll start. Um, so yeah, I think it's interesting uh, for me because I, I grew up kind of in like a state of ignorance in a sense. 
And it sounds weird to say that because I am a black woman, but it, I mean it in the sense of I grew up around a predominantly white area. And so um, I don't think I really understood the kind of microaggressions and things that happened because it wasn't really talked a lot about um, in my own home that much, but also just around my friends. And so things like I would get called Oreo all the time. It was like, oh, you're black on the outside, but white on the inside. And never thought about mm-hmm. like what that actually means. Like my appearance is black, but the way that I act is white. And what does that mean? I'm assuming to them it means like you talk well and you present yourself well mm-hmm. and well, I'm, I'm still loud, so that might not count. But it was just like these different things that I heard that I didn't really understand uh, how that affected how I see, saw myself. And then I think on top of that, um, I noticed more like code switching. And so, you know, whenever I answer the phone, I don't know who it is. Like my voice gets a higher pitch or the way that I speak might be um, different. Um, and that was, I mean, that's just like, that's something that you don't learn. It just happens. Like, I don't even know how that works, mm-hmm. but we just learn to live in a world that's not made for us. And we know that in order to get where we want to get, uh, whether it's like intellectually, educationally, whatever, we have to present ourselves a certain way. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think that that was something I noticed more in college of like, in order not to offend people, um, I wouldn't say certain things. So whenever somebody would say something that was offensive to me, um, I didn't want them to feel offended. So I would just hold my breath or hold my tongue and not say anything. And so you kind of grew up with this. I personally kind of grew up with this, like, I don't want to talk out of place. <laughs> I don't want to anybody to really look at me, even though everybody was also looking at me at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just learned to kind of quiet my voice and spoke when spoken to kind of thing. So it's, it's difficult. It's hard. It hasn't gotten easier. <laughs> Matter of fact, it might get, it might've gotten worse as I've grown, um, grown up and, um, Iowa is a little more majority white culture than Dallas area where I came from, um, after I went to college. And so it was a little harder here to, um, I think transition, understand what was going on. I'm thankful for, uh, Cottage Grove and the staff that's there and how we've been able to talk about these things, honestly, um, so that helped a lot my transition, but, um, uh, yeah, that's a little bit of part of my story. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. I think, man, even hearing you ask that question, it's hard to encapsulate black womanhood in you know, mm-hmm. a couple of minutes and even what Joanna hit on are so many things that I resonate with. But one of the things that you said in the beginning, uh, Jared, as you're talking about your little girls, um, is, the fact that early on they like saw their infor- inferiority. Mm-hmm. I even, can't even say that word. Well, here we are. <laughs> here, here we are. So I, I, I already said it. I knew what you meant. I knew what you meant. Still, you rise. <laughs> yeah, Wait, miss, that's try, word. try one more time. Feel try one more time. <laughs> <laughs> Danger, for real. That's my style. Roasted. But yeah, as you like describe the ways that your girls could see the ways that they were different. Early on, I could resonate with that. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like one of the stories that I tell people when describing what it was like growing up as a black little girl is that myself and my older sister would legit put on like a t-shirts on our hair on our head because we wanted long straight hair. Wow! wow. And so the sadness of what that produced in growing up of even thinking like, man, what if I had blue eyes? What if I had lighter skin? What? Mm-hmm. How would the world yeah. perceive me this way? Mm-hmm. 
it's something that like now being a believer in what God had to like root out in me to say, no, the way that I created you, the way that your skin is, the way that your hair is, the way that I formed you is no mistake to the ways that I want the world to see who I am through you um, and the ways that I want to like shape you to look more like me. But yeah, early on, just the the weight of being a, a black little girl and desiring what the world presented as more um, worthy was early on in my life. And then hitting... Uh, college where I went off to University of Oregon, uh, predominantly white space, totally different from Oregon or totally different from California, uh, where it was more diverse. It felt like it was like one foot into two different worlds because back at home I'm with, you know, predominantly black community. And then in Oregon it's predominantly white. And I learned a little bit what it looked like, what you talked about, Joanna, the code switch, Mm -hmm. Um, the idea of like, man, if I present the ways that I talk with slang words or the ways that I enunciate or the ways that I'm a little bit louder than those around me, then people are going to say, Tracy, you're too black for this environment. Um, But then on the flip side of it, like learning to navigate that in, in a way of like, man, people also saw me, Tracy, you're, you're different from other black people because you speak yeah. well, because well, yeah. you're good at academics, because you work hard. And so for me, that made me present like, do you think that I'm some anomaly that it's right. only a few black people that are this way when that's an absolute lie. And so trying to figure out the ways to balance and, and communicate with those around me that no, just because I love education and what God has done me in that area does not make me less black. And mm-hmm. just because the ways that I speak does not make me white. Yep. It, it just makes me Tracy. Tracy. <laughs> so, uh, that, that was like the environment of like university of Oregon. And then in that God showing me like, loving and embracing the ways that my hair was created in and things along those lines were slow progress in chipping away at that. Um, that led me to Iowa where I feel like God yet again is just slowly but surely molding me to embrace all of who I am and the ways that he's created me mm-hmm. in a way that isn't uh, bolstering up myself, but mm-hmm. actually like rooted and submitted in what the gospel says about us as people. Yeah, yeah. that's good. Amen. <sighs> Um, I think from, from an early age, I knew our history, um, shout out to my mom for that. Um, and I knew, she real. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I knew, I knew black women to look up to, but also knew that a lot of those women had to traverse much adversity mm-hmm. to do the great things that they did. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think from early on, I, I just knew that like, if I'm a, whether it be in a Christian sense or a secular sense, whatever I do as a black woman, it's going to be a fight yep. mm-hmm. and it's going to be a struggle and it will come with particular burdens that uh, are just innate to my gender and my skin color. Mm-hmm. I remember in, in preschool, I went to Oakwood Presbyterian Preschool Yes, I was the only black person there. Um, and I remember this this kid who was like also a classmate. It was It's literally one of my earliest memories. Um, he said, you know, Persia, you're all right for a black girl. Wow. Mm. And I, of course, didn't think anything of it at the time as a four-year-old. But I mean, I think that went on to be like a, a thesis for how I live my life, mm-hmm. wanting to be someone who made the white people around me comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was hard. Yeah. And I think like, like Tracy said, I, 
I'm just on a journey to unlearning uh, that I don't have to do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm not called to do that. Uh, God made me who I am, where I am, how I am purposefully. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, literally up until two years ago, uh, I wore my hair in weaves pretty often and braids and extensions, all with the attempt to cover up the hair that actually grows from my head. Oh, yeah. And that was just because it wasn't what was popular. It wasn't what was desired. It mm-hmm. wasn't, and in a lot of ways still isn't, mm-hmm. what what is attractive or deemed attractive. And so I think... God is teaching me, namely through my hair um, and things like it, to to just not see any part of my body as a as a problem to be solved, yeah, or to be corrected. Um, and it's still hard, mm-hmm. you know. And and I, I remember as early as as middle school, like my mom. I love my mom, but her generation, you know, like I remember her buying me like bleaching cream to like even out my skin tone Mm -hmm. because she knew to be lighter would be easier Mm -hmm. Mm. and you know like the the dual consciousness of black people that we talked about like it's how I speak to an everyday like outside in society is different from how I speak to my family and how I speak to y'all when we're just like hanging out and Mm -hmm. stuff like that it's just different like and it's just because it's such an ingrained bilingualness um, to, to, to code switch. Like it, you know, and then for, for so many teachers, so many teachers growing up would be astonished that I had correct enunciation, correct Mm -hmm. grammar and, and that my grades were good and things like that. And it's just like, because they did not expect excellence Mm -hmm. from me. That's good. Yeah. And I think, I think over the last probably like six, seven years, there's been a lot of like peeling back layers and, and, and unlearning a lot of those things. And, and still that, that's, that's a work in progress. Mm-hmm. Um, unlearning a lot of those things to really embrace like how does the gospel, how does the message of reconciliation granted from, from, from God to us through his son, Jesus Christ, how does that infiltrate how I see myself as a black person, as a woman, as a black woman. And it's still something I'm learning like up to 359 <laughs> on July 20th, you know, yeah. but it is valuable. I've learned that it's valuable, but it is hard. Yeah. yeah that's good. That's, man, that's, <laughs> yeah. Um, these stories, <laughs> are amazing, you know, and, and I think as our listeners start to listen, I think about our black listeners, our black female listeners, mm-hmm. um, these stories, your, your guys' voices are going to be medicine <laughs> to a lot of people listening to this. I'm, I'm really grateful for you guys sharing those. I was uh, listening to a podcast just the other day, and um, I'm terrible with names, but there was this woman on there, uh, she's a black woman in ministry, and, and she had, you know, climbed this uh, this ladder, she's done really well for herself, you know? Uh, but then she had this question asked to her about, you know, how she, how she's getting along in ministry. And she referenced this idea of, uh, you know, I, I think it's something a lot of black people can, can relate to, but I think it's something that black women relate to on a different level. And, 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 and the thing she said was, um, you know, I was taught at a really young age that I would have to work 
twice, twice as, as hard. hard. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. to be half as good. Half as good. Yeah. Twice as hard to be half as good. And and it was to the person that was doing the interview, this was such a shock. And you could just hear it in his voice. Mm-hmm. You know, he was just like, How does that even compute? Mm-hmm. You exactly. Know? He had never thought about something like that before. But it's because it's a, that's it's a reality. True. That's right. Because that's true for women in ministry, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Any any ethnicity. Mm-hmm. That that's a pretty strong truth that most women in ministry today go by. That's like right. I will have to work twice as hard. But imagine being black on top of that. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, you're talking about a level of effort and 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 stereotype aversion. Yeah. You're talking about literally. Re- your sheer existence reframing people's minds of this is what black women are like. Mm-hmm. This is what black people who love Jesus look like. This yeah. is like all of those things, your sheer existence and in, 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 in doing well in that existence already works to redefine mm-hmm. what are pretty set in stone stereotypes in a lot of people's minds. Mm-hmm. That's, good. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. And so I, I, I think that's so... We got to understand that, <laughs> you know what I mean. We have to, we have to understand that um, the effort that you know black women are putting in and, and black people in general put in, uh, it's not this effort, this 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 double effort that that we're desiring to get us ahead or like get us in front mm-hmm. <laughs> of anybody. Mm-hmm. It's simply this effort that we want to put out in order to compete to be in <laughs> you right. know yeah. and so it's to be accepted it's, uh, that's right it's wild all right so ne- next question um what are some other common stereotypes you find yourself having to navigate um i guess the second question on top of that is how have you felt that you've had to minimize yourself in spite of these stereotypes mm-hmm. i think for me I have to fight the strong black woman imagery or the angry black woman imagery Mm -hmm. a lot. Um, I've said this before, but I'm an eight on the Enneagram, if you know the Enneagram. And that means that I'm candid, I'm honest, and I seek to, I mean, bring my whole self to wherever I am. Mm And for most black women, that is unwelcome because it plays into, you know, whatever your stereotype is that came to your mind when I say angry black woman. And it's infuriating, but I can't be mad about it because I can't be an angry black woman. Mm-hmm. And it, it's <laughs> that, that cycle is just insane to me. Exhausting. Mm-hmm. Profusely exhausting. What a dilemma. And so I I think that is probably like fighting that and then being very passionate about about leadership development, being very passionate about investing in people. Um, I think I fight being a strong black woman because it's like that that often gets misinterpreted as being impenetrable Mm -hmm. or being um, strong to a fault. Mm -hmm. But I've said this in conversations before, just because... A, a person or a black woman or, or a human, just because someone is able to carry something doesn't mean it's not heavy and it doesn't that's mean good. they don't need help. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I think that's something that I've had to that's a word. consistently learn often is like, yes, I, I, I probably could do this by myself, 
but should I? Mm-hmm. Is that is that a way that God is asking me to live my life? Mm-hmm. Probably not mm-hmm. as a Christian. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Literally, right. Christianity as itself is me admitting that I cannot do it myself. Yeah, right. So yeah. how, how do I live in the intersection of those two things? Yeah. You know, yeah. feeling like I have to play up this, this image of... of impenetrable force field of a person while knowing that like I'm weak, I'm yeah. tired, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm finite. Yeah. yeah. That's good. good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think to go off that, I think the the stereotype that I feel like I hear most is intimidating or aggressive. Mm. And, you know, I've heard that actually quite a ton. Um, people who get to know me will be like, oh, I thought you were like so intimidating when I first met you. And I'm like, thank you. Like, is that, (laughs) but now I'm not, is that supposed to be a compliment? Like, am I supposed to be happy about that? Like, and I know they mean like good when they say that for them, but for me, I'm like, what about me was intimidating? And like, I'll I'll admit I might have a slight RBF if you guys know what that means, but it's like, I think it's also just like people look at me from afar and they, again, assume that I'm this person that they can't talk to or they assume that I have all these angry and upset thoughts. And part of me is like, well, you probably assume that because you know what's going on in the world. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like you don't just look at me and say like, oh, she's angry just because. Like you understand the plight of black people in America. So you understand, even if you won't admit it with your mouth, that's the reason why you're looking at me and assuming I'm going to attack you yeah. because wow. you know how I feel about the people who are pushing me down in America. Uh, so and even how you by, should feel. Right, <laughs> right, and how I should feel. Yeah. So even by you saying I'm intimidating, yeah. you're admitting that you understand what's going on in the world. Yep. Like, yep. How, like logically, I'm like, do you not see that? Hmm. So I think that's the biggest one for me. And even on top of that, I think for, you know, I just graduated with my master's. Let's go. Because uh, it was a long two years. Yeah. Lots yeah. of tears. Late nights. Yeah, lots of late nights. Lots of like, I'm not going to make it. <laughs> and, um, but the, hey, but God is good. Yeah. But hey, but amen. God is, God is good. But amen. But God. Amen. 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 My favorite two words is like, but God, being rich and merry. Okay, we gonna, it's okay, we'll come back. Um, so there's, there's two things about that. It's like, one, um, There's just like, God is, God has righteous anger. Like there are things that anger God that go against who he is in his character. And so it's like, as a believer in Jesus Christ, as a daughter of God, Mm -hmm. I should be allowed to have that same righteous anger. Now agreed, there are some things in my flesh that allow me to have unrighteous anger, Mm -hmm. but things like injustice or things even like, um, like, um, women being taken and used for sexual trafficking, like those things anger God's heart. And so should anger mine. But like Persia was saying, that angry black woman image that people have of us doesn't even allow me to be angry about things that I should be angry about. Mm-hmm. Like that feels hard to be like, okay, but my father, God is angry about these things, but I can't even be angry because of the way that you perceive me about something else. Like that is really hard for me to, to process. Um, and then the second thing is um, we... Persia was saying this too about how teachers like are surprised when we do things well. And I think that um, a lot of people think that we're like, I would say intellectually challenged in a sense. And so there's this like thing when I graduated with my master's, I was very proud of myself. But at the same time, I was like very scared and nervous mm. because me excelling as a black woman 
I feel like now I can't mess up. Mm-hmm. Like there's no room for a mess up. Wow. So everything that I say has to be right and clear and perfect because if I say something wrong mm-hmm. or bad, it negates all the work that I've done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Even if, I mean, all of us sometimes might slip up and say something or we will say something that we believe and then learn more and we come back and say like, okay, I was wrong about that. Let me move forward. Mm-hmm. But I don't have the margin for that. Nope. Mm-hmm. And so it, I actually become fearful of using the gifts that God has given me and the things that I've learned. I'm fearful to speak about those things because for the, for the most part, I feel how people see me is how they now see the black women as mm-hmm. in general. Yeah. Yeah. It's not just like, oh, Joanna messed up. And, you know, that's like, let's talk to her about it. But it's like, oh, she messed up. See, we we told you that black women couldn't do this. Like, we told you that, you know, they can't handle themselves. And so that's a lot of pressure Mm. to feel Mm. um, whenever you are put in a position where you're you're called to speak. And so uh, it's very draining to have your voice pressed down in multiple ways, not just... um, in your in your walk with Christ and, and, and even being in ministry um, and, and in, in the world and we're calling for justice and mm-hmm. we're calling to just be equal. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's just really difficult. And yeah. so I think that those have been on my heart recently because it's been something I've been struggling with for a while. But Yeah, I think real, real quick, like a little, um, just an example, and then we'll hear from Tracy, but uh, just to go off of that, John, I like, I was at a conference out in uh, South Carolina at this church. It's a, it's a multi-ethnic church. Went out there to learn a little bit. Uh, went out there with one of my, uh, you know, fellow laborers in in Christ. And we're at this conference. We get a chance to sit down with a lot of the staff. And a lot of the staff is uh, is minority staff, mm-hmm. you know, my, a bunch of minority leaders, you know, black, Hispanic, um, man, Puerto Rican. It, it, it was just so many different ethnicities in that room. It was, it was beautiful. Um, and it's a mega church too, so it's a bunch of staff. <laughs> and and the and the guy I was with, he made this comment later on. We were talking about it, you know. Um, he didn't say it out loud. He didn't say it in the moment, but he was in the moment of vulnerability, talking about the event. He says to me, "I had this thought that ran through my mind. I didn't even know I could think this, but I said, when we're sitting in that room with with all the minority staff, he said, I had this thought that said, um." wow, look at all these competent mm. black people. Mm. <laughs> you know, look at all these competent minorities in this room as if it was... A surprise. A, a surprise, <laughs> right? Yeah. A miracle that, that, that there could be uh, so many here? of us, <laughs> right? Space? That could actually do good things. I think that goes along with what you're saying, man. Like, like how, um, you know, it's, it's so ingrained. Mm-hmm. And whether you recognize it or not, whether you know it or not, these stereotypes that can be ingrained in your mind, these biases ingrained in your mind, okay, talking to my listeners right now, like it's, it can be, they can be there underneath the surface and you never even know it. Yeah. You know, until you're, until you're put in a position where you have to actually think and soak in those things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. they've never been in a situation where there's so much minority leadership. Mm-hmm. And so that thought hadn't really crossed their mind until it had to cross their mind. And now it's like, whoa, where did that bias come from? Right. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. I think, I mean, I agree with obviously Persia and Joanna on a lot of those things, but in particular, um, because I think Persia said it beautifully with the, uh, strong black woman, which I feel like I get a lot, are the independent black woman. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'll just talk about loudness because I think 
everyone knows they can hear my laugh from across the room. So I can't, I can't hide that. Um, and so I think, <laughs> see, here it is. Here we go. Here it is. Um, but in that, like with that stereotype being thrown at me, I think it has caused me to believe that I need to eliminate some of my joy mm-hmm. because I'm too loud, because my, my laugh, my presence, whatever it may be, might overtake the room that I need to dim it down a little bit for mm-hmm. others to be comfortable. And so- mm-hmm. I think in that, as we continue to obviously talk about this conversation, this goes along with what I think we all been like describing with the gospel penetrating all aspects of our life and, and showing us like, man, who God is and what he's created us to be and how he's creating us to look more like him doesn't require me to, you know, eliminate the loud voice that I have. Right. Um, but hopefully to project it for his glory and his, mm-hmm. and my good. Mm-hmm. That's good. Um, so my next question, it was around the topic of the strong black woman, but I think Persia, when you were just going just now, um, and if you didn't listen to her very good, rewind this thing back so you can hear what <laughs> yeah. she said about it because it was phenomenal. Yeah. So I want to ask this question, uh, but I just want to touch on just this idea that, man, the idea of a strong black woman, when we look at it as a trope, <laughs> it's something that we tend to uh, place on black women. Mm-hmm. You know, and in and, and, and Persia, you you hit it out the park, man. Like it's it's this thing that when, when, when you say we shouldn't have to carry that, when you have to wrestle with the burden of, uh, you know, do I need to take this on myself? You know, I don't I don't have to. I shouldn't have to. And it's, and it's actually part of your Christian faith to understand and know and operate in the mindset that I can't. Jesus. Mm-hmm. Does it? <laughs> Jesus did it. Mm-hmm. And so, how do you operate in that in that in that thought paradigm? Uh, but then still be seen in the spaces that you're in, uh, man, as capable, as competent. I think I think that's good. And so I think we have to understand that when we use the term the strong black woman, we shouldn't use it in a way where uh, we're putting a needless burden on the sisters of our of our or on the shoulders of our black and brown sisters. Mm-hmm. You know, um, we tend to use it in a way where it's like. Oh, you can do this. You can do that. Like, don't complain. Don't do this. Don't, don't, don't leave. <laughs> you know, you're a strong black woman. You can handle it. That's kind of the way we tend to use this term. And so, mm-hmm. I think uh, we've got to get away from that. You know, because it's 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 not so much that you can. It's actually in spite of that that makes you strong. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And even even to add on that, Jared, I think that sometimes it even frees people up in a wrong way to like take a step back yeah. you know if they're just like oh you're strong you can do it i don't have to help you that's good now yeah. i can exit and step back and not feel guilty or wrong for leaving you because that's what i've been told like you're strong you can handle it you can carry it by yourself mm. you don't need anybody to talk to or process this with or or hold it with you like you said persia so sometimes i think people use that to um, not feel as guilty to step back from us and say like, oh, it's too hard to actually be in community with you because there's a lot there that I don't know what to do with or mm-hmm. that I'm scared to walk or step into. And mm-hmm. so I'm going to use this stereotype about you to actually exit from being with you. Mm, yeah. And good. it's like, how, okay, so what am I supposed to do now? Because mm-hmm. <laughs> I do yeah. need people. So, yeah. Yeah. Dang. Yeah. 
Hey, you guys, thank you for listening with us. That was part one of our Black Womanhood episode. As you can tell, we got into some really uh, heavy and meaningful topics. So we had to cut it to hopefully get you to listen to the second half of it. Um, So here soon, we'll come back at y'all with the second part. Thank you for listening to the Ambassador Podcast. If you would like to hear more episodes or get more information about the Ambassador, please check out our website at www.weareambassador.com.